call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on all of the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in President Select States. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome into the Ringer Gambling Show. Austin Gale here back with Warren Sharp. We are on to week three, Warren. Week two is tough for me, man. I came out of it across 14, no, 16 different NFL bets up just 0.76 units, which not ideal when you're sweating out so many of these games to come out only 0.76 units, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm going to survive, Warren. How was your week two? My week two was good. Uh, winning week in the NFL. Look, you shouldn't complain Obviously, we want to print money, right? We, we would love to print money and just go, what'd you say? You had 17 NFL wagers. You you wanted to go 17 and 0 there. You're never going to place a bet that you think <laughs> you're going to lose, of course. Uh, but any pro- any week that's profitable is a good week to keep keep it moving. And, you know, especially early on in the season, we are trying to get a better handle on team strategies, player utilization, how teams are going to adjust and adapt. And sometimes teams don't do exactly as we thought that they were going to do. Um, And, you know, that's a learning experience and you take that and bank it and move forward, but you trying to take advantage of that in your future bets. And I think that there are some pretty interesting and and solid betting opportunities here, but um, there were some number, a number of great dogs last week on the board that uh, were pretty easy to take advantage of. And I'm looking forward to seeing what, this week's board produces a lot of dogs this week too, right? Some home dogs. Chiefs are going to Indianapolis. The Colts are six and a half point dogs. The Bills go to Miami. The Dolphins are five and a half point dogs. And then we're going to talk also 49ers at Broncos who opened up as favorites, but are now one and a half point dogs at home as well. The other game we're going to discuss is Packers at 
Bucks. Starting with the Chiefs going to Indianapolis. This game, I think, opened around six and a half. Colts are six and a half point dogs at home. The total at 49 and a half. But it has bounced around kind of wildly between 46 and a half and 49 and a half right now on FanDuel. It's set at 49 and a half. I am surprised, really, that this line is at six and a half. I thought that this line would get through the key number seven and the Chiefs would be favored by seven, seven and a half. The Colts are winless on the season, tied with the Houston Texans in week one and lost 24 to zero to Jaguars in week two. You know, I was talking to Steve Ruiz, Matt Ryan, his arm is off right now and it's it's trending downward. He's going to be a quarterback that's falling in his quarterback rankings that you can see on the ringer.com. He ranks 26 in EPA per dropback so far this year. And I know the Colts did not have their starting receivers in Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman Jr in week two, but this offensive line is allowing a lot of pressure. The offense ranks 30th in offensive EPA per play, bottom 10 in neutral pass rate. I have so much concerns with this offense against what I think is an underrated Jaguars defense and an underrated Houston Texans defense, but still so much concerns with this offense that I don't know how they're going to score enough to cover the six and a half. And there's probably some concerns with Gus Bradley and that defense side of the ball as well. I'm looking at the spread and I'm liking Chiefs a lot, Warren. Am I wrong to have a heavy lean? It's tricky. Um, I also was, I'm expecting some Colts money to come in here because that's just what the sharp betters are going to do. They're going to look to back the team that doesn't have a win on the season and is playing in its home opener. Remember, most teams have played a home game by this point in time. Uh, half the teams, obviously, in week one play a home game, but the Indianapolis Colts have yet to play a home game. But I wish we could say for Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, sake that this was avoidable but like this is so predictable what this team does i really don't understand how they haven't made adjustments this is too smart of an organization in my opinion to continue to have their team stumble out the gates every single damn year it makes no sense at all why they would not change things up aggressively in the offseason in their preparation for their games in their game plan for their games in the in-game adjustments, figure out some other approach so that we can start these games off faster, so that we can start our season off faster. I mean, but the the it just it's just like Groundhog Day. It's a, like the painful state of the Groundhog Day movie with Bill Murray, which is obviously a gem in my opinion. I don't know if you like that movie, Austin, but it's, <laughs> I do. It's, it's at the point where we're at the point in the movie where it's still so painful that he keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. And he hasn't yet started to figure out, I can use this to my advantage. I can tweak some things here and I can start actually enjoying this hell that I found myself in. And, and the Indianapolis Colts just continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. The Gus Bradley thing is very concerning for me. This guy, I, I really dislike coaches when they have a philosophy that like my system is better than who I've got on my team and that I don't have to change anything enough for my opponent. Like we are going to work with what I've got. And that's what he does. They ever, the league last year shifted massively to playing cover two against the Kansas city chiefs. And this team continued to play cover three, get burned deep just have massive problems. And in the seven games that Patrick Mahomes has gone up against Gus Bradley, he's played him a lot because he was the defense coordinator for the Las Vegas Raiders. 17 touchdowns, only two interceptions. This defense of the Colts right now on the season is allowing a 72% completion rate. That is second worst in the NFL and has come against Davis Mills and Trevor Lawrence. We are talking about <laughs> two quarterbacks 
that are both in their second year starting, drafted in that same class, that are playing on AFC South teams. And now you're going up against the AFC West commander and Capitan in Patrick Mahomes. I just think it's going to be a problem for this defense. So they're going to have to figure out a way. Are we going to try the old school, run the ball, keep it away from Mahomes? Like, how are we going to figure out a way to keep this game close? And like you said, I just don't have a lot of confidence in Matt Ryan right now. I don't have a lot of confidence in the offensive line right now, but they're, Frank Reich's got to figure out something uh, in this game. And usually it's like, you got to come out and try to smack the bully in the mouth. You got to come out and try to score with the Chiefs. And that's the way that you're going to have success. But um, I remember they went into Kansas City in the postseason and tried to run the ball and slow the game down a little bit. Obviously, I think there was a little bit of slow snow in that forecast. Uh, but they had some success early in that game, and I think that they might need to try to figure out their best player right now is obviously Jonathan Taylor. Figure out a way to get the ball in his hands and convert first downs and and, and ultimately score. The, the issue I have with that, and I want to get back to the defense actually before I talk Jonathan Taylor in this offense and them, you know, trying to run the football and trying to kind of punch the Chiefs in the mouth by you know running on early downs and trying to create offensive plays or explosives through that. Defensively, like you hit that, you hit on, you know, Gus Bradley is staunch in, in what he wants to do. He, he has run cover three on 65% of his defensive snaps. It's the highest rate in the NFL. It's single high looks. It's cover one, cover three, all the freaking time. And I just don't think he has the dogs to do that. Like he does not have the dogs up front creating pressure. They rank bottom three in pressure rate, creating pressure on opponent quarterbacks. And Stefan Gilmore is their top corner, but he's not the Stefan Gilmore of old, right? Still struggling. I think we'll struggle on islands in cover three and in cover one. I think that the Kansas City Chiefs, as Mahomes has done against Bradley in previous years, is going to rip on Bradley, especially with this pass rush not exceeding expectations. And then on the other side of the ball, Matt Ryan, if he does not have Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce, is really going to struggle struggle to create plays through the air because this receiving core is underinvested, right? I think their highest paid receiver on this team is Ashton Doolin after Zach Pascal left last offseason. This is a concerning, concerning group for the you know um, for Matt Ryan, especially if Pittman is out and Alec Pierce is out, the the second round pick out of Cincinnati, and then running the football for all the same reasons. I have problems with the offensive line. Last week, their left tackle Matt Pryor who has allowed more pressures by a single player than any other player in the NFL this year, was benched late in that game. The rookie out of Central Michigan, Bernard Ryman, came in. He looked better, but it was unlimited sample size. And then when Matt Ryan got benched because it was such a big blowout, they put Matt Pryor back in. That's that's rude. You can't do that to Matt Pryor. Matt Pryor starts the game, gets benched, and then comes back in with the backups. I, I have so many concerns with their pass protection, specifically Matt Pryor and others there. But run blocking, they're not creating a lot of push either. Like, they're not you – no, know, they rank – Bottom 10 and neutral down pass rate. So they're running the football effectively a lot on early downs and not seeing a lot of significant success with how good Jonathan Taylor is. So offensively, defensively, worrisome, bottom of the barrel stuff. So much that I thought this line would get through seven, get through seven and a half. But like you said, some of those other trends could have Colts money on um, you know, late in the week, right? I, I think you could see because it's their first, you know, first home game, because you know, the public you know, bet or the square bet will be on the Chiefs, the more dominant team. And, you know, that six and a half being right under that key number, I think you could think that that's the square bet. But I'm interested to see if there is, Col you know, Colts money. If this number gets down to five and a half, four and a half, I'm going to keep betting it because I like the Chiefs, man. I like the Chiefs to go to Indianapolis and, and, and take this one. I just think it's too lopsided on both sides of the ball because I didn't even bring up 
The Chiefs defense. Chiefs defense has been rocking. The pressure rate looks good. George Karloftis, Chris Jones, I think both rank top 10 in the NFL in total pressures created. Like they are making plays in the trenches like they haven't before. Frank Clark is seeing less snaps in favor of Karloftis, and it's, and it's working. I really like the Chiefs pass rush specifically. I think on the back end, their secondary has got beat up a bit, but their pass rush is much improved. So a lot of reasons to like the Chiefs. Not a lot of reasons to like the Colts outside of maybe this being their first home game. Yep, absolutely agree here. Um, it is going to be tough. It's one of those ones that if you're backing the Chiefs or backing the Colts, you just got to plug your nose and go with the fact that they're playing <laughs> at home. But it's funny, you know, I was on the Jags last week. Obviously, they won big as a as a outright home underdog. And the, you know, I, I came out before the season and I was taught, I, I recorded videos. I, re- I wrote in my book, I went on endlessly about Frank Reich's inability to execute early in the season, talked about all these situations. I said, look, yes, I know the schedule looks great. The schedule looks easy. They play the first game of the year is against the hapless Houston Texans in the second game of the year against the Jaguars and the culture is supposed to win the division. They should be able to beat the Jaguars. But I then went through every single one of those games and was like, the game against the Texans is not going to be easy. All the public's going to be on the Colts in this one. The game against the Jaguars, they can't win down there. And I still saw people, Austin, who understand that Frank Reich is, is, is bad at the beginning of the year, come out and discuss the fact that, oh, well, historically, after a week one loss, he's actually pretty good in week two. He's won all of these games in week two. And it's like, but he sucks in Jacksonville. Like, he can't. Yeah. So... I'm not going to say that just because they're playing at home, all of a sudden they're going to figure it out and turn it on. I mean, are they pumping in the crowd noise? Like uh, what what other edges are they going to get here? Because <laughs> you got Patrick Mahomes in a dome and I think that they're going to be able to execute pretty well, regardless of that against Gus Bradley's defense. So um, I, I'm with you, but I'm not absolutely have not done anything on this game from a side perspective. I think the biggest edge they could chase, and we'll move to the next game after this, Bills at Dolphins, Dolphins five-and-a-half-point dogs at home. The, the biggest edge that they could chase is honestly just surprising Mahomes, surprising the Chiefs with Gus Bradley not cu- calling cover two 65% of the time. You know, like if, like if Gus Bradley said, hey, guess what? I'm going to shock the world here. I'm going to call some different things. I'm going to call some different things. I'm not going to call a ton of single high. And I'm going to, because I've played this game before and I've lost, you know, like you said, 17 touchdowns, two picks. I've seen what happens when I go into this game and think my guys, my scheme, my philosophy is better than any player in the NFL. It's not, especially not better than Patrick Holmes. I think that would be the biggest edge. Just a, a, a surprise cover too heavy, too high shell heavy defensive call. What would you set the odds of him actually doing that though? Because he knew that in Las Vegas, right? He knew that in Vegas. He didn't do it. The only way possible that that might happen is if Frank Reich made that like, basically came out and said like an ultimatum, I'm going to hire you and, but against the Kansas City Chiefs in week three, you cannot play cover three single high safety in this game. And I just don't think that that's going to be the case. I really think that they're probably going to come out and do what they've always done. But I mean, I would love to see it. Look, I, I, I want to see intelligent coaching. I want to see intelligent decision-making. I just don't know that he's got it in him to make that change. And I think even, you know, even if Frank Reich, when he hired Gus Bradley, didn't have that conversation, right? It said, you know, got, you got to play this, got to play that. You're winless. And you've lost to two of the worst teams. No, the two worst teams in your division. You lost to the two worst. No, you didn't lose in week one. I know it was a tie. But like you lost, you got 24-0. You got blanked against the Jags in week two. You have to change something. And they rank, you know, in addition to calling a lot of cover three and and not having a lot of success against Trevor Lawrence, they rank 29th 
in pressure rate. Like they're not creating pressure up front either. Like this isn't working at any level of the field for Gus Bradley. And it's not going to work again. You can't, you can't just keep like doing the same thing over and over and expecting change. I think, especially against Patrick Mahomes bills, Dolphins. That was fun. I like Chiefs at Colts. I think the lean I have there is Chiefs. If that gets down to five and a half, I'm still betting it. And I might be looking at player props. I know sometimes FanDuel has plus money on Mahomes going over two and a half touchdowns. I might look at that. If that's a plus 120, plus 140, I might be looking at player props there as well. Look at Bills. Travis Look at Travis Kelsey. We were on Kelsey's under last week. Bad matchup against the Chargers with a great safety on him. Limited yeah. to 51 yards on only five catches. Went like th- over 30 yards under his receiving yards prop. It was the heavily, most heavily bet over on the board from a prop perspective from a lot of the books that I spoke with. And here they're going up against a matchup where think tight ends, they've played the Jaguars and the Texans, teams that don't really have great tight ends. And they've still allowed 12 catches on 14 targets for 114 yards and two touchdowns. And we know how Travis Kelsey typically beats Gus Bradley's defense. So Travis Kelsey might be a guy to key in on after a terrible game last week. Yeah, hopefully that terrible game, you know, beats that prop down. I wouldn't be, I I could, I wouldn't be surprised though if that is still a high prop, but I will definitely be looking at Kelsey this week as well. Bills at Dolphins. Dolphins are five and a half point dogs at home. That totals at 53 and a half. I've seen on FanDuel, I've seen it move around from 51 and a half to 54 and a half, depending on where you're betting it, depending on where the book is. Um, But before we get into like actually breaking down this matchup, the Bills, you know, the best team in the NFL in my power rankings, I think the best team in the NFL in a lot of people's power rankings, going against a red-hot Miami Dolphins team coming off what is arguably the best performance of Tua Tungavailoa's career, easily the best performance in Mike McDaniel's young head coaching career. What were your reactions to last week? What were your reactions to the Miami Dolphins being down 21-0 and you know, you know, due in large part to some coverage boss, but honestly, just like Tyree Kill being a different player and, and Mike McDaniel calling it a really, really good game in that second half. What were your reactions to Tua, Tonga Vailoa, and the Dolphins last week? And just how sustainable is that firepower offensively? Uh, my reactions were mixed because I thought that that game had a shot at going under based upon what I saw in week one. Obviously mm-hmm. not even close to that. Why they were mixed is because I couldn't help smiling ear to ear from what I was seeing from Tua because this is exactly what I called all off season. This is why we bet so heavily on the Dolphins futures. And I love fading narratives on quarterbacks in the off season. One of my favorite things to do because this is the, this is the first take, you know, discussion point. This is the reaction on all the talking head shows in the off season is about a quarterback who didn't look as good or meet expectations last year. Everybody just, by the start of the season, that quarterback is basically buried by most of those talking (laughs) shows. And so it was like Lamar Jackson after his 2018 season where he went like six and one, but lost in the playoffs to the LA Chargers. And it was all of a sudden like, Lamar couldn't be the guy. He's not good enough to be a quarterback. And then he does his 2019 MVP uh, season. And then we got the same type of thing here with Tua. Everybody was coming in and bearing him. And in both of those instances, I staunchly looked at the data, dug deep for some contrarian angles, understood coaching issues that occurred with Tua and the offensive issues that existed with regard to um, Lamar in that he wasn't taking all the first team reps and it was Joe Flacco's team and they had to make a quick switch on a dime, all those different factors. I was like, I love this guy. I'm betting heavily on this guy to have success here. And a couple of things, though, that I'm noticing, you know, from Mike McDaniel and his offense was with regard to making life easier for Tua. 
You know, yes. Tua averaged in 2021, 4.3 yards of yak per reception. That ranked second worst in the NFL. On early downs in the first three quarters, the offense in general averaged only five yards of yak, which, which included the games that Tua was out. This year, they're averaging eight yards of yak per reception. That's second highest in the NFL. And this was predictable for us in part because they were going to be throwing to more open receivers. Last year, this team had one of the least, if you look at uh, uh, next-gen stats, tight window throws. Tua led the NFL in tight window throws in 2021. 19.3% of his passes were into tight windows. It helps getting rid of Devontae Parker, but that's who he had last year. That's who he's had in the past. They had all these receivers that just could not get separation. And consistently in his first two years in Miami, he was throwing the ball to guys that were covered very frequently. In 2022, he ranks fifth lowest in tight window throws. His 19.3% has dropped all the way to 8.4%. Um, they are getting the ball. Now, this is in part the offensive scheme, which we anticipated happening when Mike McDaniel brought the 49ers offense here. However, there's also an element of you got to be able to read the defense. You got to know who to throw the football to. Like there's going to be a receiver that's open here. You got to make sure that you can get him the ball. And Tua has been able to do that at a pretty good rate. So offense gets some credit. Tua has played well too. He's not perfect still, but he's definitely exceeded expectations from a lot of people. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that continues. And so I was definitely happy uh, to see what he was able to do. They are pushing the ball a little bit more down the field. Uh, his passes are gaining 8.9 yards per attempt, um, and that is up from 6.5 last year. Th this offense is just a lot more firepower, and they're trying to make life easier for Tua, and it's paying off. Offensively, I, I, I back sustainability here, and a lot of that is because of non-Tua factors, and I'm, I'm happy saying that. Not That's not to bury Tua. That's not to create excuses like, oh, he didn't play that well. He wasn't as good as his box score. It's just because this other stuff is good. Mike McDaniel is running play action and pre-snap motion or shifts at a higher rate than any team in the NFL, creating so much easy offense, those easy edges and being an offensive play caller. He has two, I'd say, the two most electric receivers in the NFL, in Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. Those are guys that created more than three yards of separation across two, 22 different targets against the Baltimore Ravens according to next-gen stats. That's unheard of. These guys are getting open and they're getting open fast. Then, if you look at last week, a lot of coverage busts, right? It was a young, injury-battered, slow Ravens secondary that gave up too many big plays that allowed for Tua Tungabailoa to, yes, underthrow Tyree Kill on two touchdowns, but still help throw those two deep touchdowns. The positives for Tua for me are this guy finally looked confident, finally looked confident and comfortable and all the pressures that we've seen him play with, whether it be draft expectations, coming back from injury, playing in an offense that's not creating easy offense, having receivers that aren't creating separation, trying to press and press and press against so many of these other pressures. He finally looked comfortable, finally had fun. I wanted to read you a quote from Mike McDaniel that I think is really salient to how Tua Tungvaluwa could use this opportunity to like just play more comfortable and have more fun. He said, it's awesome to be critical of yourself. That's what Daniel said after the game, talking about Tua. It's good. He has a high standard for himself. But after the first game, I just wanted to see the guy enjoy playing football. This is huge, talking about the Ravens' comeback, because he stopped worrying about the last play, and he went and played and took his responsibility seriously to his teammates and said, hey, I'm going to lead this team confidently. I think if it was a moment that he'll never forget, hopefully he can use moving forward. He also began that quote saying, the absolute worst thing happened in that game. He threw a pick and started to press and threw another one. The tool of old sinks 
into that quicksand, to use that Keanu Reeves replacements quote. Like he sinks and struggles and presses and, and loses. This Tua didn't. Seven third downs. He completed pass beyond the sticks and, and obviously converted that first down. That's two more than he's done in any other game in his career. Like he's throwing with confidence, throwing down the field in critical downs to come back and win this game. It was a sensational performance for Tua Tungvaluwa that has admittedly struggled. And Steven Ruiz's quarterback rankings here on the ringer, he was below Geno Smith to open the season. The criticism was rampant, but he finally looked good. I, I think Jimmy, you know, Steven told me, he's like, he kind of looks like Jimmy G and that's good. It's like, if he can look like Jimmy G in this offense, that's running a lot of play action, pre-stat motion with Jalen Wall and Tyree Kill, that's good enough to win a lot of football games. That's good enough to win a lot of football games uh, in Miami. I think offensively, there's a lot of reason for sustainability for the Dolphins. We haven't talked about the Bills yet, though. They go against the Bills, the best team in the NFL. You know, they have Josh Allen, who is practically a cyborg this year. My, my podcast co-host on the Ringer NFL show, Jason Goff, calls him Cam Elway, least pressured quarterback in the league. And he ranks first in EPA per drop back. He is absolutely dominating through two weeks. Took it to the Super Bowl, you know, the reigning Super Bowl champions in the Rams in week one. Dominated in that game. And then go against the AFC one seed last week against the Tennessee Titans. And Ryan Tannehill gets benched in the third quarter because that game is so out of hand. Ken Dorsey, the new offense coordinator for the Bills, is packing up his desk with two minutes remaining in that game after, you know, essentially just beating up on the Tennessee Titans. And they did it without Gabriel Davis in week two. Like the offense is cooking in Buffalo, cooking even more so than what we saw from Tua Tungwailo and the Dolphins last week, and it looks as sustainable, if not more sustainable. I think that this is two really, really good offenses that where the edge will come defensively, and if I had to guess where that edge is coming, that's why I lean the Bills. I think the Bills have the better defense in this matchup. Both offenses are red hot, but that defense, I think, is ultimately what's going to be limiting, and why this spread is at five and a half. It's because the Bills are good. It's because we've seen more of it, more offensive play, or more success from the Bills you know, consistently over last year and this year. I think that this Bills team in this line is right at five and a half, and a lot of that is because the defense is just such a lopsided affair. Yeah, the defense is lopsided. I, I think that it's going to be interesting. Let me start on the Bills side of the football here when they're on offense. And that's because they've owned this series. In, yeah. in the last seven games, they're 7-0. and In those games, they're averaging 37 points per game. I mean, put that, put that in, in the head and just try to blend that around and process that you are playing a division foe and you're averaging 37 points per game in a span of like over three years of games against these, this team. And this includes three games Back when Josh Allen wasn't yet the Josh Allen we know, back before Brian Dayball didn't like throw gasoline on the fire and start passing the ball at a high rate on early downs, which he started to do in 2020. This was games, a game in 2018, two games in 2019 when this Bills offense wasn't close to what it is now. And they were still putting up ridiculous points. Miami is 0-7 in those games. They're 2-5 and ATS. And when Tua was playing, because he missed, he got hurt in one of the games last year. Uh, this get these this series has gone over the total with ease. Five of the six of their last six games when Tua wasn't hurt have gone over the total. And the reason that the Bills have so much success here, it's 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 structural, it's uh schematic, just like the game that we were talking about with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Gus Bradley defense. Miami is by far the number one most man-heavy team in the NFL. They love to play man. And they also love to blitz. And that's a big problem for them in the matchup historically against the Bills because Josh Allen understands this defense, eats it up. 
just absolutely eats it up. And we saw what Lamar Jackson was able to do against this defense as well last week. Uh, the reason that the Ravens didn't win that game and close it out was simply because they cannot run the ball to save their life. But in terms of the passing attack, they carved this defense up. And I have no, uh, and, and, and I don't think that the Bills are going to have any problems with that. But the reason that is even worse this year worse for the Dolphins is because they blitz at the second highest rate of any defense, but they get pressure at the second lowest rate of any defense. Yes. <laughs> I don't care who you're playing. That is a recipe for disaster. If you're sending shitloads of blitz and you cannot get any pressure, and that's exactly where they find themselves. And Josh Allen against the blitz this year, listen to these numbers, obviously only two games, but Number one in sack and interception rate combined. Number two in first down rate. Number three in touchdowns thrown. Number four in success rate. Number five in yards per attempt. And number six in EPA per attempt. I mean, he's been great against this style of defense this season. Uh, Miami's allowed a league high 12.2 yards per attempt per completion. So I think Josh Allen is going to have a lot of success. He's had it. It's not any different this year. In fact, the secondary for the Dolphins is a little bit weaker given some injuries there. And then on the other side, I mean, we should talk about briefly the injuries that the Bills have in their secondary and the players that aren't going to be there because I think that's going to factor into this matchup big time in a way that other opponents that the Bills have played were not able to take advantage of. Their number one cornerback, Tredavious White, is out. Obviously, we know he's going to miss the first four games of the season. Starting in his place was Dane Jackson. He got strapped, unfortunately. You know, I'm glad to hear that he's doing better uh, and was able to walk out of the hospital. But on Monday, he was obviously strapped to a backboard with a very scary neck injury and carted off and taken to the hospital. Then you got starting safety Micah Hyde, who likewise sustained a neck injury, stayed on the ground, was taken to the blue medical tent, then was carted to the locker room and actually went to the hospital himself with this neck injury. Um, and so the problem is that game was Monday. They're playing on Sunday, so they have less time to prepare. And it's a road game, so they're going to have to get on a plane and fly there. Um, it's just a much more difficult situation for that secondary. And then look at the quarterbacks that they've played and the receivers that they played. What did Cooper Cup do to this defense in week one? Pretty much what Cooper does to every defense, but he carved them up tremendously. But that's really the only like legitimate good receiver that they've played. We know the issues. Traylon Burks was the leading receiver. He's a true rookie playing his second start of his career. That was who the Tennessee Titans had because they got rid of all their other veteran good receivers. Uh, and beyond Cooper Cup, like, and, and a quarterback dealing with an elbow injury, the LA Rams had really nobody. They were trying to work in Allen Robinson. We had higher hopes. They weren't able to work in Allen Robinson. I mean, their number two leading receiver, I think, was their, their tight end in Tyler Higby. And their number three uh, leading receiver was a running back. So, like, they don't have, you just mentioned, two of the most dynamic, explosive wide receivers. And there are other guys here that are also fully capable. We saw Mike Gusecki break out and have some success last week. There are other players on this receiving core. Like I just think with the injuries in the secondary that this Dolphins offense is going to have some success here as well. Yeah, I, I think that Miami is going to you know, for the same reasons we waxed poetic on why, you know, Tua Tungvalu is playing well, why Mike McDaniel is finding edges. I think this Miami Dolphins team is going to be able to find more success against this Bills defense than other teams have. And I think some of that 
is Tua, some of that's Waddle, some of that's McDaniel, all that stuff. But a lot of that, too, is like you said, those injuries, right? Losing Dane Jackson and Mike Hyde, if both those players aren't able to play in this upcoming game, still not having Tredavious White. Eventually, you get to a point, especially when you add in, you know, traveling on the road, that there will be more mistakes or more openness on the back in the back end of this defense than there were with those starters, right? I think that's a fact. I don't know if there will be an, enough openness to go toe-to-toe with the Buffalo Bills, because I still think the with those people, you know, with Micah Hyde and Dane Jackson out, with you know, two attempts playing well, I still think they don't match up well on the other side. Like I think Josh Allen going against this Dolphins defense has the bigger edge. They run a lot of single high, a lot of love, cover one, a lot of cover three, a lot of man. They blitz a lot, like you said, and they aren't creating pressure. Like that is a recipe for disaster. It's how the Baltimore Ravens went up, you know, were up 21 points in that game in the fourth. Like a game that they honestly probably shouldn't have won. I think that Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills have the bigger edge going against Miami Dolphins defense than Tua has going against what is now an injury plague defense. Does that mean he's not going to have any success? No, I think it's going to be, you know, a relatively tight game. I think if I had a lean here, while it's still at five and a half, I'd probably lean Bills. I think they're the better offense, the better defense, and have the better quarterback. But it's going to be a tighter game than maybe people think, especially because of those injuries and because they have to go down to South Beach. Start the NFL week off right with a no-sweat, same-game parlay every Thursday from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or already have an account. Every Thursday night, you'll get free bets back if your NFL same-game parlay doesn't hit. Same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. And there's no better Thursday night game to create a same-game parlay than when the Browns and Steelers are playing. Two, two of the you know, uh, ugliest quarterback matches. We've got Jacoby Brissett versus Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky has looked awful this year. Brissett just lost to the New York Jets. This is a tough game. You should bet on it. The same-game parlay I'm backing. Nick Chubb, who's absolutely dominant against the Jets. I got him anytime touchdown score. I like the Steelers' offense to need to throw the football. I think they're going to have to create points here if they're going to win this game on the road. They're five-and-a-half-point dogs, four-and-a-half in some spots. I like Deontay Johnson over 50 yards, and I like Mitchell Trubisky over 200 passing yards, which is plus money in the same game parlay. Plus money to go over 200, Mitchell Trubisky. Find a way. That goes out to plus 345. That's plus 345. That's $10, wins $34.55 this week. That's my same game parlay. Nick Chubb, anytime touchdown. Deontay Johnson over 50 yards, and Mitchell Trubisky over 200 passing yards. That is my same game parlay for Thursday night. Now, build your own. Or choose from the one of the popular SGPs pre-built for you in the FanDuel top-rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet the NFL every Thursday night with a no-sweat same-game parlay. Just sign up using promo code GAMBLERS. That's G-A-M-B-L-E-R-S. If you don't already have an account, that's promo code GAMBLERS to get free bets back if your SGP doesn't hit. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in select states, three plus legs, minimum $1 bet required, refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Maximum bet $5. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-878-9777 or visit chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like... 
Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Let's get to Packers at Buccaneers here. Buccaneers favored by one and a half at home over the Green Bay Packers. I think this line opened at three in some spots. Bucks opened as three-point favorites. It went down to like two and a half pretty quickly and now down to one and a half on FanDuel. Total is at 41 and a half. I think I've seen it on different books bounce between like 41 and a half and 42 and a half, but it stayed relatively put. The Buccaneers... You know, Tom Brady are, are not in a good place right now. Tom Brady has screamed at his own teammates more through two weeks than I've honestly ever seen. And the jokes are rampant on him not, you know, being able to throw over the middle of the field, him not being able to hit, you know, you know, convert on third downs, convert in the red zone without Rob Gronkowski, that, you know, Chris Godwin being out, not helping. Like so many people are doubting, in my, you know, in, in my opinion, doubting this, you know, this team's ability to score. And rightfully so. I think that's why the total is all the way down to 41 and a half. And now both defenses have had success so far this season. The Buccaneers are arguably a top two, top three defense in the NFL this year. Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean playing really, really well on the season. But there's a lot of jokes on this Bucks offense. They're running the ball a ton on early downs and not creating a lot of push up front. I think last week, uh, Leonard Fournette averaged 0.1 yards before first contact per attempt, and they were still running the ball and still not having success. I think that speaks more to the Saints' de- defensive line being absolute monsters in the trenches, but still, this Bucks team can't create easy offense running the football. They're struggling to create easy offense throwing the football. A lot of concerns offensively for the Buccaneers, and for the Packers, it's been kind of a roller coaster, right? In week one, they couldn't do anything. You know, you know, Packers fans were rejoicing, you know, uh, you know, getting on their knees and praying for Devontae Adams to come back. The defense was giving up 184 yards to Justin Jefferson by himself. They couldn't pass up zone coverages. They couldn't create pressure. Now you go to week two, they you know, they rel- you know, hurt on the Chicago Bears. So you know, Justin Fields can't, you know, um, you know, get the ball downfield. The run defense looked pretty porous, and they were struggling to kind of you know match up against David Montgomery and company, but the pass defense was good. The offense looked better. You know, AJ Dillon and, and Aaron Jones had some success. So th- these are two really good football teams. I think they're top five in my power ranks because they have two really good quarterbacks, where I think we're still the jury is out on them. I think the jury is out on the Packers and Buccaneers. I think that's why the spread is so tight. I don't know where to go with this game. I don't know if I have a strong lead going into our analysis here. Where are you with the Packers at Bucks? Maybe start with both these offenses. Look, the Bucks are a very different offense than what they've been, and that's come out of necessity. I mean, we heard previously about 
uh, all the injuries that they were sustained along the offensive line. And we know that they don't have Rob Gronkowski there. However, you know, they're getting more and more beat up along that offensive line. Um, this team just lost another starting left tackle who was playing last week because, um, hold on, uh, Donovan Smith was out, so Josh Wells came in, but now he's dealing with a calf injury, so he is going to be out for this game. Uh, they may get Donovan Smith back, but we're not sure. We know Mike Evans is suspended. Um, we don't know if Godwin's going to be back. We don't know if Julio Jones is going to be back. Obviously, we're recording this before we even had our first day of practice this week, but this team has been forced to run the ball more because they can't pass protect and they don't have the receivers. And it's actually wild to think of how much different this offense is. And they're leaning into what they can do, which is the ground game. And so they're having to run the ball in these situations. But look at this. In 2020, when they won a Super Bowl, they were 62% pass on early downs in the first three quarters of games. That was number five highest in the NFL. Last year, they had a 65% pass rate on early downs in the first three quarters. That was number two highest in the NFL. This year, they're all the way down to 49%. That ranks sixth lowest in the NFL. I mean, they've had to pivot majorly, and they did so against a team in the Saints that historically has a very good run defense. And we talked about how maybe the Saints Lack of a strong run defense in week one was because they were playing tentative. They didn't know exactly what the Airs, uh, Atlanta Falcons were going to do with Marcus Mariota in the first game out and how they were going to run the ball. So they were trying not to get upfield too much and allow big explosive plays. So they allowed instead a lot of efficiency to the Falcons. Uh, here, they just obviously limited Leonard Fournette significantly. But now I look at this game against the Green Bay Packers and I'm thinking, this is actually the right team to start running the football against. The Green Bay Packers on early down running back runs, they rank dead last in EPA per attempt allowed at plus 0.13. They rank 31st in success rate allowed at 50%. They rank 30th in yards before contact per rush at 2.0. And they rank 29th in yards per carry at 6.2. This run defense has been very bad on early downs to opposing running backs. Now you got a Tampa Bay Bucks team. It's like, crawling through the desert their canteen ran out a while ago <laughs> they are just so starved and parched for any little bit of water and they find an oasis right there where like we could actually maybe run the ball against these guys on early downs like i i fully expect them to lean into those early down running back runs so long as this game is close and have enough efficiency to want to keep doing it and potentially move the ball a little bit but then you look at the other side of the ball and I look at this Green Bay Packers team. And first of all, like this was a big reason why I liked Green Bay, especially on the first half last week. But I thought Green Bay was going to be just OK offensively. And that's because if you dig below the box score and, and another reason why I thought the uh, Philadelphia Eagles were going to score enough points against the Minnesota Vikings too. This defense of the Vikings was not as good as they looked. And that's because, yes, they only allowed the Green Bay Packers to score seven points. Yes, in that week one game, the Packers only scored seven points. They were number two in third down avoidance in that game. They were quite efficient at avoiding third downs. They were just having mistakes down in the red zone and fourth down failures and turning the ball over and drop touchdowns and things of that nature that caused the Packers in week one to not score as, as many points, but have a quite efficient offense overall that obviously showed up against the Chicago Bears in week two. And we saw on Monday Night Football, 
the Eagles could have done even more probably against that Vikings offense or against that Vikings defense if they really wanted to. Um, so I think the Packers are going to be in a decent shape offensively here. But my big concern is this is a big step up in class. And this is where we're really going to strengthen the schedule. It's something interesting to talk about this time of year, start pulling these things out. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense has the number one defense against the pass and number two defense overall. But they have played the number two easiest schedule of opposing offenses. And then you look at the Green Bay Packers offense, and this team has played the second easiest schedule of opposing defenses. So they've played the Vikings, who on efficiency-wise rank as a bottom five defense, and they play the Bears, who ranked as the a sixth worst defense efficiency-wise. And so you're going from two defenses that rank terribly to now a defense that ranks top two, but has played no good offenses. So I think it's going to be an interesting clash. I think the the water will meet its level, as they say. I, I think the, the Packers, obviously, offense is going to look a lot worse here. But I think the Bucks defense is also going to look worse here against a finally a competent quarterback and a competent uh, passing attack. So I think it's going to be fun to see what happens on that side of the ball. And bottom line here is we are going to have a real clash in styles overall because in combination, because they're running the ball more on early downs, the Bucks are, and because they have no wide receivers and they can't pass the ball well. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now are the NFL's worst team, dead last at avoiding third downs. Only 17.9%. Uh, they have a first down rate of 17.9% on early downs. And the Packers rank number one in the NFL right now, even better than the Chiefs at avoiding third downs themselves. So you got the number one offense at avoiding third downs against the worst offense at avoiding third downs. I just think there's a lot of great storylines, a lot of great narratives reading the line here. Certainly people think that the Packers are going to have enough success. I do think the Packers make for a great teaser leg here as long as Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw up on himself in some of these situations that he's been prone to just like have a massive stinker, whether it's out in California or whether it's down in Florida. I don't know that the Bucks offense has the juice to really roll up a crooked number against them this year. Mm -hmm. uh, but certainly speaking, if he throws in a stinker, that's the only way the Packers don't cover a teaser leg, in my opinion. And I absolutely agreed with the money that came in on the under to just like squash this thing all the way down to like 42 and a half. And then when they announced that Mike Evans was suspended, it dropped as low as 41. It's since back up a little bit, but uh, th this game is crazy. Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers in the passing era of football, and you got a total that's only like 41, 42 points, it, it, it seems absurd, but that's these offenses right now. I, I think you hit on so many good points there. Starting with the Buccaneers offense, it, it's one against the Saints that really struggled to have any success running the ball in early downs, and that an offense that needed to, maybe, like you said, crawling through the desert, needed to run through the, you know, run the ball in early downs because they did not have you know, a lot of the weaponry on the outside. They weren't having success throwing the football. The Green Bay Packers run defense is going to be a sight for sore eyes. The Green Bay Packers run defense, I think, is going to struggle against, you know, I think it has been a little bit of a gap-heavy run scheme for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where Leonard Fournette is getting downhill. I think they can have success running the football. I still think they're going to struggle throwing it, especially with Mike Evans out, especially if Mike, um, you know, Chris Godwin is still out. They're still going to struggle against this Packers defense that linked, I think ranks second in the league. No, leads the league in quarterback pressure rate through two weeks. Like they're going to create pressure against a bad offensive line. The Bucs are going to want to run the football and they're probably going to have some success but maybe not so much success that running on early downs is going to lead to this wildly efficient offense. Other side of it, Packers going against the Bucs defense. I just don't know how sustainable this Packers offense is. Like through two weeks, they're leading running, you know, their leading receiver in target share 
is A.J. Dillon <laughs> at 15%. Their the, the second leading receiver in target share is Aaron Jones at 13%. Those numbers are already <laughs> wildly low, right? Like target share for like the Rams, you'll see Cooper Cup clear like 30%. You'll see you know Justin Jefferson get into the 32% range. To have your leading receiver at 15% means you're spreading the ball around a lot. Then the first two be running backs? Like I just don't know how sustainable that is. And Alan Lazard was back healthy. You know, they, they have some hope for Sammy Watkins. They have some rope for Romeo Dobbs, Randall Cobb, Christian Watson. But no one's stepping up right now, and no one's going to step up against this Bucs defense. Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean are two of the best, you know, one of the best cornerback duos in the NFL. And right now they're top five in EPA, you know, opponent EPA allowed per, per pass. Like they are nasty defending the pass against receivers. I think they'll continue to have that same success against running backs. I think the Packers are going to struggle offensively. They're going to have to run the football and throw to their running backs. I think the Bucs are going to struggle offensively. They're going to have to run the ball with Leonard Fournette. This is going to be a tight game. I think if there's any line I like here the most, I think it's like you said, the Buccaneers teaser lake. That would be taking them from plus one and a half to plus seven and a half. You get through two key numbers there, the key number three and the key number seven. I don't think either team has enough explosives to really blow this team out. And I kind of still like the under. Like I still like the under just because as efficient as maybe they could be running the football against the Packers, I don't think it's going to be efficient enough to overcome the fact that they're still going to be running the ball a lot. And the Packers, I think, could be in a similar game plan as well because it's going to be so tough for an Alan Lazard Sammy Watkins, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Randall Cobb combo to create separation against this pass defense. It's going to be very difficult to do so. I don't know if I have a big lean on the line as where it is. I'd rather take the Packers in a teaser leg, but I think I'm leaning under in, in, in this game overall. 49ers at Broncos. Last game on the slate here, and then we'll get out of here on the Ringer Gambling Show. Right now, the Broncos are one and a half point dogs. I think they opened as one point favorites. I saw them open at one, maybe two in some spots. They're down to one and a half point dogs at home in Maha Stadium, and the total is set 44 and a half. Every single week, I think we might be talking about Nathaniel Hackett's game management on this podcast. It is, it has been nothing short of disaster. I think Benjamin Solak here at The Ringer wrote an excellent piece on Nathaniel Hackett and just how befuddling a lot of these decisions have been. A lot of delay games, a lot of false starts. Doesn't know when to use his timeouts. Doesn't know when to go for it on fourth down. Doesn't know when to kick the field goal. It has been really, really difficult to watch. Nathaniel Hackett struggle, who admittedly is a first-year head coach with a lot of young coaches around him, try to handle some of this game management. I don't think it's going to get better overnight. It can't. It can't get, get better overnight with how bad it is. In their home stadium, their home crowd is counting down the play clock. Like that, I've never seen before in the NFL. That is insane. The game management for Denver, just absolutely befuddling. They are one-and-a-half-point dogs at home. <clears throat> against the San Francisco 49ers, if you don't know by now, Trey Lance suffered a broken ankle in that week two game. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the starter for the foreseeable future. It's going to get back to what they were doing before, which I think is a relatively efficient offense. And with Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot less volatility, right? And I think there's a lot of confidence and why money is going on the 49ers taking this from one point dogs to that one and a half point favorites on the road is because there is confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo. I won't say get this team back on track, but having consistency offensively, he's not, you know, he's. You know, I think the San Francisco 49ers are going to be exciting. You know, 49ers fans are exciting for them to be boring again. Boring in a point that where they can win some of these games against good football teams like the Denver Broncos on the road. Where, where's your head at? Where does your head immediately go? What are the storylines that you're attracted to in this 49ers-Broncos matchup? I mean, for me, it definitely starts with what you led with, and that is like, what the hell is Nathaniel Hackett doing here? And and <laughs> we're, we, we're, we that was the biggest storyline after week one. Unfortunately, no coach really wants to make an error on Monday night football, right? That could potentially cost his team a game. And certainly nobody wants to do it in their first game that they coach. And it's like, okay, we got to get better at this. But they had less rest to get ready for their week two game. They had to come back home, 
hurry up and try to get ready. But they're making the same type of mistakes from a strategic perspective. Like either they didn't have enough time or they didn't put enough emphasis. Neither is a good answer or a good excuse, in my opinion. But this team was making some of the same mistakes. Um, then they also are just inefficient in the red zone. They've had six trips to the red zone and they haven't scored a single touchdown. They are the only team in the NFL since 2000 to have five drives in goal-to-go situations and score zero touchdowns. The only team since at least 2000 to do that. Like This is bad play calling near the goal line, bad play calling in the red zone, and then you have the situational mistakes halfway, you know, at midfield. Like, so we are not able to overcome this. We, these are, these are turnovers. These are, these are a coach causing a team. When a coach forces a team, instead of kicking a field goal, instead of possibly having another set of downs to then attempting a field goal to then punting the football just because of the coach. Okay. That's a turnover. That coach caused a turnover right there. When you're calling these running back handoffs from shotgun at the goal line and you fumble once and you call it again and then you fumble again, that turnover is on the coach. I mean, so Nathaniel Hackett, we can try to make excuses. Oh, well, you know, I know some of the Broncos defenders of him, there aren't as many, but there are some guys, that, well, there was a guy open on this play and, you know, Russ just didn't see it. Yeah, Russ isn't playing great either. Like Russ has had some mistakes too, but this is a problem. And, you know, I was interested to see, I saw this game, open, as you mentioned, with the spread favoring the Broncos, but the total was also at like 43, 43 and a half and got slammed to the over at 45. And, you know, obviously there's some thought process here that this offense for the 49ers is going to be better with Jimmy G because of that experience. They are going to have a little bit more confidence in calling some passes. We know they won't be necessarily as explosive on deeper pass plays down the field, but this was one of the most explosive passing attacks in the NFL the last several years because of the yak that this offense creates. And that's just a matter of who to throw the ball to and where to put it on his body. If you're throwing it to an open man who can catch and run because it's accurate, you're going to have some yak, which can turn a three yard or six yard pass into an explosive 20, 15 to 20 yard gain in this offense. And so this is why this team is able to create more explosiveness. So I do think even though he's not going to be throwing the ball deeper down the field, a higher rate of explosive pass plays out of the San Francisco 49ers now that Jimmy G is back there. This is why we like the 49ers in the futures market, because we had a great backup plan were Trey Lance to get hurt. Obviously, we didn't want that to happen, number one. Number two, now there's no backup plan behind Jimmy G, who also always gets hurt. So this is going to be an issue um, for them if Jimmy G, unfortunately, were to go down. But I think that that is an upgrade for this single-game sample themselves. I, I know that Denver, playing at altitude at home at this elevation, still should have a slight edge here from a home field perspective. But I just don't have confidence in this coaching staff right now Thing is, though, it has created a ton of value. If if you like Denver and you're like, what's the biggest public narrative going on out there? And you're like, just listening to the media, <laughs> turn on Sports Center. It's it's Hackett. Everybody's talking about Hackett. When it it it's it's the lowest common denominator, Austin. Like when things trickle all the way down to like the the 11 a.m., the 10 a.m., 
talk shows that are out there, you know something is, has jumped the shark to an extent. Now, we're not, mm -hmm. who knows if we're all the way down to the bottom of the barrel before things will start turning. But what I can tell you is you're not getting value backing the San Francisco 49ers here. It may still be the right play to make because Hackett is worse than what we think, but the market is absolutely accounting for that. They have made a big turn here. Um, and this is one of the biggest talking points out there. I hope for the sake of football and because I want to see him play well and it will make the AFC West better that Russ and Hackett figure this shit out and do it quickly and do it in prime time. I can't imagine the uproar if we see like, I mean, Hackett wished, wished he probably was coaching back in the 80s before Twitter was invented because I can't believe the uproar that's going to exist on Sunday Night Football if he's making some of these bumbling mistakes once again in front of national TV in a primetime game. I think that was such a perfect point about like the market value on the 49ers and the market value on the Broncos right now. Like I, I think that you you combine two like I think really big narratives, really like public narratives that you're probably getting on the 11 a.m. talk shows. It's one, Nathaniel Hackett's a disaster and Russell Wilson's not playing well. I think both those two things are being talked about often and a lot and all of that. Two, there's a lot of public belief, a lot of talk show belief in that this offense for the San Francisco 49ers is better with Jimmy G. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But like that is like publicly understood so much that you're not getting value on the 49ers and where there's probably more value is digging into where is this Broncos team having success? Where is their volatility and some of this game management stuff, some of this goal to go situation stuff? Like, again, I go back to it. I know those turnovers are on the coach and that coach isn't going anywhere, but like fumbles on the goal line don't happen a lot, let alone that many times in a game. And, and there's, there's still reason to feel this, you know, 0 for 5 and go to goal situation struggling in the red zone. Some of that stuff is not necessarily noisy, but volatile at the least, right? Like there can yes. be coverage busts on the other side and all that stuff. I think that you're right in that there's my probably value on the Broncos futures market and there might be you know, you know, value on the Broncos moving forward, especially if they lose this game at home to San Francisco because they still have talented players. I still think they, they, they still have a really talented defense. Like the defense is playing well in Denver. They're just struggling to make anything happen offensively. And I think that's twofold. That's Nathaniel Hackett struggling in game management and Russell Wilson really struggling to create anything outside of throwing it up in one-on-one -on -one situations to Cortland Sutton. And they might not have Jerry Judy in this game. You know, Jerry Judy went down with a shoulder injury in this last week's game. Tim Patrick already out for the season with an ACL. They're not getting any love out of these tight ends. They're trying like three different types and none of them are having all that much success. Their running backs are probably their best weapons right now outside of Cortland Sutton. This offense is going to struggle to create easy offense. And already when, it, when things get tough, on third downs, in the red zone, goal to go, their coaches just... Just making just befuddling decisions, just, just absurd decisions that are leading to just noisiness that's insane. On the other side, I think the 49ers defense is insane. I, I honestly think that the 49ers defense is, you know, one of the better coached defenses in the NFL. I think they're gonna make make things very difficult for Russell Wilson. They're gonna make things very difficult for Nathaniel Hackett. And if this Jimmy G led 49ers offense is even remotely, you know, what it was last year. I think that's enough to beat this Broncos team. I, I don't know if you're getting value on the 49ers, but I do think that the 49ers might be the right side. And I also, if I was going to lean on the total, I think it's going to be hard, relatively hard for both these teams to score points. I think the Denver defense is good. I think the 49ers defense is good. I, I think that the total at 44 and a half, if you can get it there, not the 43, I, I think an under would be a play where if you're betting on this game, I don't have big, big leans either way, but if you're betting on this game or want to bet on this game, I think where I'm leaning is 49ers, um, you know, minus one and a half and, and the under at 44 and a half. That's going to do it. Warren, we're, we're two, two of these shows in the books and I'm having a phenomenal time. I feel like I learned something new every single time and I love talking about the public narratives and all that stuff that's changing. We are on to week four next week. 
We're going to have a larger sample size for everything. There's going to be less and less excuses for where these teams are. You know, strength of schedule starts to come into the conversation. I'm excited to continue to do this with you every single Wednesday. Make sure everyone who's listening, tune into the rest of the Ringer Gambling Show. Raheem Palmer is a monster on this feed. I love JJ, JJ John Dostremski. House, Warren, I know you do another show with House later in the week. There is a lot of content on this feed, so make sure to subscribe and listen as we go along. Big shout out to Mike Borgon, our producer on the show. Until next time, Warren Sharp, Austin Gale, The Ringer Gambling Show. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like... Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.